the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, and today we're going to be talking about The Legend of Zelda, a series that is debatably an RPG, but certainly has RPG roots. Uh, specifically, I'm going to be asking Nadia and Bob what their favorite Legend of Zelda games are, and I'm going to be sharing my own, because we recently ranked the 25 best Zelda games of all time, including spin-offs and the most obscure stuff you've never heard of, including like Navi Trackers and the BS Zelda no Densetsu. So you should go check that out on the website. Uh, joining me first to talk about his favorite Zelda is, as always, Bob Mackey. Hello, everybody. It's good to be, good to be back on Axe of the Blood God. I know, and welcome back. It's been a few weeks since you've been on here. As I as I stammer through my introduction, that's how <laughs> that's how rusty I am. We're professionals here. Don't worry. <laughs> but before we get uh, to talking about Zelda, why don't we talk really briefly about an event that you did a couple days ago? Uh, you met with John Harden from Atlas, and he showed you Odin Sphere, which is getting remade for the PlayStation Four and the Vita. Um, I would love to hear your impressions. They should be on the site by now. Uh, what do you think, Bob? Well, I played the original PlayStation 2 version, and it was really one of those games that was way too ambitious for the hardware platform it was on. Um, I mean, you could say the same thing about things like Shadow of the Colossus, but it was still pretty playable, you know, despite the frame rate drops and things like that. With Odin Sphere, uh, some of the bigger bosses, I swear the frame rate would drop into single digits at some points. Like it was, the hardware was just like choking on that game. So seeing everything in a new, uh, prettier form on a system that can actually handle it two generations later is like, oh wow, like this is what the game always should have looked at, looked like. This is what how the game always should have moved. It's like. It feels like finally, like the promise of Odin Sphere is being delivered to us because I didn't play much of the game uh, past that first chapter because of those technical problems. So, what did you get to see during this event? Uh, not a whole lot, maybe like thirty minutes of gameplay. And the fundamental gameplay of Odin Sphere uh, hasn't really changed. It is very much a kind of brawlery, uh, beat 'em up fantasy thing. Like that's kind of what Vanillaware does. I mean. It's very much like in the vein of Dragon's Crown. You you just go through these enemy encounters. You, of course, it's a vanillaware game, so you eat a, you eat a lot of delicious and uh, beautifully rendered food. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if you played a vanillaware game, they really have a certain kind of uh, action RPG they make, and Odin Sphere is very much in that mold. So you didn't see a whole lot. Did you, they show you a dungeon? Like, did they show you a specific area? Did they show you specific characters? I did see a few characters, and if you'll forgive me, I don't have my notes in front of me. They all have like these uh, bizarre fantasy names, so they don't really roll off the tongue. But uh, get on the bo- get on the ball, Bob. Come on, Gwendolyn. I don't know the Dark Knight, something like that. Some bunny character. I don't know. They're all there. Uh, I saw some new mini bosses, which were added to sort of break up the gameplay, uh, make uh, some different challenges happen alongside all the brawlery stuff. And I did see uh, some of the new skill system. Uh, things they put in there where now uh, characters have unlockable skills and uh, a ton of like passive active skills and even new moves which is really adding a lot of depth to the game which was a uh, I would say it was a kind of a shallow experience and like I said this version of the game does feel like a more fully realized uh, version of Odin Sphere shallow Bob Japanese RPG hater in the house <laughs> it was a bit shallow and I think it's because like uh, my, my story about Odin Sphere is and and I forgive me if I'm misremembering this because it, it has been nine years but I played I played it and I beat the boss of the uh, first world and then the second world you start off by fighting that boss again with a different character and I was like well I think I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of, those kind of issues are going to still be there, but that particular boss was the boss where the frame rate dropped down to like eight frames per second. So I, I did not have the, the uh, I guess, tenacity to struggle through that battle again with that kind of technical limitation. But this time around, I think it'll be much easier. Well, Bob, you're a retro connoisseur. You're like, you really enjoy older games. And at this point, Odin Sphere is an older game since it came out for the PlayStation 2, which two console generations ago, like oh, yeah. almost a decade at this point. I believe it was 2007. 
was it 2007? I thought it might have been like 2005 even. Oh, uh, I'm not sure, but I'm almost positive it was 2007 though. Well, in any case, uh, that's almost 10 years. Yeah. And I mean, this is just one of those instances where a game can just really benefit from a remake, right? Like there's some remakes where you're like, oh man, why are you even doing this? But in this case, like they're fixing a game that probably didn't hold up so well. Yeah, and I'm really impressed that I don't know what kind of archiving process Vanillaware has or if they have a better archiving process than most other companies or publishers, but um, or developers, rather. But I was surprised that everything had been replicated so perfectly, at least according to my memory. Uh, like I said about Twilight Princess, I think, it's like, it's like uh, the game is how you remember it, not how it actually looked. So they've done an excellent job in preserving those assets and bringing them to a new generation, I think. Are they just using the old assets and then up them, or are they creating whole new assets? I don't know the process, uh, and John uh, wasn't really uh, privy to that either. I, I can ask George Kamatani, I think his name is, at some point, but it might take a, a long turnaround to get answers from him. But it <laughs> looks like more than a simple upscaling. Uh, from what I'm guessing, I'm guessing the assets were probably created at a higher resolution and then down for the PS2. Okay. Uh, but that's just conjecture. But uh, in any case, they look. It looks like a PS4 game. It, it is uh, just drop dead gorgeous uh, in in the tradition of Vanillaware, like the best 2D graphics you've ever seen in your life. How does it animate? Um, it it does have that kind of puppety animation. Uh, you know, it is a Vanillaware game. Uh, the animation is kind of like that. You know, kind of like a whole bunch of moving parts, like sort of like moving and undulating. But it looks really good in motion. I think. Yeah, just recently I went uh, to an Atlas event and I saw Grand Kingdom. Are you familiar with that? Um, I am not actually. Is that any, is that related to Grand Knights Historia or something? Grand Knights History, I think History, that's what it's yeah. called. Is that related? The, uh, sort of. It's by the same designer. I thought so. Yeah. Um, the only reason I bring it up is because that designer, uh, I guess, started at Van- Vanillaware and was mentored by like George Kamitani and stuff like that. Um, and his game has a really similar look to it. Uh, it's a strategy game, though. Um, it's kind of Valkyria Chronicles in 2D. It, oh, it's cool. interesting. Uh, you like the overworld you move around on a, um, uh, you move around on kind of a set grid, I guess. Like it's almost like a board game. And then you fight individual encounters and then you have an army on one side, you have an army on the other. You can you have a certain number of action points where you can move them around and then you can shoot. Uh, it's for the PlayStation 4 and I think the maybe the Vita. Um, I don't have that info in front of me right now. Yep, it's going to be for the PlayStation Vita. It looks gorgeous and it's kind of in that similar vein where you're like looking at it and going, God, this game is so gorgeous. So uh, a couple of really fantastic looking uh, Japanese RPGs coming from kind of similar sources this year. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say that um, if you are put off by my Dragon's Crown comparison, I mean, these conversations have already been had uh, years ago. We don't need to have them now. But uh, you could say Dragon's Crown was a little self-indulgent in its uh, the way it in- interpreted its characters in a way. Uh, I mean, look at look at how they're designed. I feel like uh, if that will throw you off, Odin Sphere is a, a little more, uh, I will say, dignified and not as uh, Frank Frazetta-y. It's a little more classical in its style. So if you're thinking it's a little uh, exploitative or self-indulgent, whatever, Whatever adjective you want to use, it's not like that. Uh, that aspect of Dragon's Crown. I just don't want to. If people who didn't like Dragon's Crown to be scared away from Odin Sphere if they're if they're new to it. I actually liked Dragon's Crown. I don't want to play it in front of my girlfriend, so uh, that's mm. kind of a deciding factor. I I mean I suppose I understand that, but I thought that it it, it got a bad rap a bit because of the art and because in the back half of the game you have to do a lot of grinding yeah but it's a fun co-op brawler and i feel like he learned a lot uh from his experiences with odin sphere and princess crown and uh muramasa the demon blade (laughs) as well and i uh, just the fact that there were route splits in the middle of the dungeon and and they were really distinct and interesting and each dungeon kind of had its own story like i i really enjoyed it yeah odin sphere i think is much more um 
it's less of a Frank Frazetta, like Conan the Barbarian kind of thing and more of a like classic like German uh, fairy tale with where everybody dies, basically. But uh, it's great. <laughs> like, I can't wait to play it again. And I can't wait to uh, play a version of it that is feels complete, feels like what they wanted to do, but couldn't uh, a decade ago. I'm really looking forward to it as well, especially because I didn't get a lot of time with the original Odin Sphere. And it sounds like they're just overhauling it from top to bottom. Uh, not just the graphics, but the systems, uh, making the gameplay a lot more diverse and less repetitive. It's basically a whole new game, almost a sequel in yeah. some ways. So I think that it it is nice to see a game that got a lot of hype back in the day, but ultimately didn't hold up uh, getting another chance to shine. Yeah, it's a good choice, and I hope we see more uh, more games like this, uh, more more productions like this, where it's like we couldn't do what we wanted to do, but now that we can, let's do it. Like I really like that kind of a uh, of, of a remake. Yeah, the PlayStation Two, like it was a good system, but at the end of the day, it was kind of limited in all, especially in the two D category, right? Oh, for sure. So, uh, yeah. In any case, let's move on to Zelda. As I already said, we did a top 25 list of all the best Zeldas, but just because we voted for a game to be the best, which we voted Link to the Past to be the best, that doesn't mean that it's our favorite. We all have our sentimental favorites in particular. I'm getting harassed on Twitter about some of the choices. Oh, are you? Uh, not harassed. People are like, I can't believe this is better than this. I'm like, hey, listen, we all we all voted in different ways, and that's how it shook out. I I, I don't I don't agree with all the stuff, but I think it's a fairly uh, I feel I think it's a fairly reasonable uh, ranking that we came up with. Democracy, everybody. Yeah, it's a nightmare. We it just um, doesn't work. If you're quite wondering about our methodology, we I basically put all of the games up there and said, okay, rank them from one to twenty five. And then when everybody was done, I averaged out the rankings for each game, and that was the final list. So that's what we came up with. And the one time um, we came up with an actual like exact tie, and you'll forgive me, I don't remember which game was tied. Um, I picked the one the one that had the highest ranking overall, like the the top ranking, uh, ended up getting the nod. So. Uh, so yeah, it kind of, it, it it more or less reflects the 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 choices that the team made. So. Yeah, wholeheartedly, I believe Link to the Past is the best expression of Zelda, and that is why every Zelda game uses it as the foundation. Uh, even though it is sort of a uh, an enhancement of the original, I feel like it really figured out what Zelda should be, and then that's why the succeeding games have taken that tack, the same tack. Yes, I also agree. Um, the only thing that like, looking back. I'm surprised Hyrule Warriors ended up so low. I'm I'm really not. I mean, uh, hmm. either either you like Musou games or you don't. Uh, and, we have um, the one who voted low on uh, <laughs> Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, I pro- I mean, I I think I did, but it's just like it's a different experience. That's not the Zelda experience. Uh, you don't you don't go to Hyrule Warriors for the Zelda experience, and that and that's what I can, took into consideration mm. when we were voting. In fact, I I said we shouldn't include it because I don't consider it to be a Zelda game. It does not progress like a Zelda game. It is just pure Musou combat. But uh, I was overruled, so I I downranked it out of pure vengeance. Hey man, if we're going to include Link's crossbow training and like. <laughs> That's that's in the timeline though, right? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? Uh, it must be. Somebody probably put it in there somewhere. In any case, yeah. Um, I also agree with Link to Past being the best Zelda. Though playing Twilight Princess has given me a renewed appreciation for Ocarina of Time. It's weird. Like Ocarina of Time has gotten, even though it's consistently ranked among the best games ever made, it it's got a lot of backlash, I guess, because there are people who are like ah. I don't get the love. I like was fine, kind of bored with it. And I'll admit, like back in the day, Ocarina of Time, um, it took me a long time to beat that game. Like I played it on the N64, got stuck in the Water Temple, kind of dropped it. And then finally in 2004, I got the, the Master Quest version for the GameCube mm. and I beat it then. So it was like, okay, all right, I have finished Ocarina of Time. And I played it on the 3DS as well. And it was all right on the 3DS, but I think that's the kind of game that you want to play in the big screen. But in any case, I, I I found that it was a little slow at the time, and I couldn't wait to become an adult 
which to my mind was when the adventure really got started. And I thought that it borrowed a little too much from Link to the Past. But in retrospect, like the things that jump out at me about Ocarina of Time is A, it's way tighter than like any other uh, 3D Zelda. And that includes Wind Waker. It That includes By Twilight tighter, Princess. In terms of pacing? I mean, it's just not padded out. Like, exactly, it, yeah. fe- it feels um, like it has the right number of dungeons. There's no, like, stupid fetch quest for the most part. Though, I mean, there's a whole fetch subquest that you can do if you want to get the big Goron sword. Right. But No, you're totally right, Kat. Um, we just did an episode of uh, Retronauts about uh, Ocarina of Time, and I'm sure, mm. I'm sure your listeners would love to hear it. It's on EOS Gamer. But, um, yeah, that was one of the things I pointed out, just the sense of economy uh, in that game. I feel it was born out of necessity, but you are literally in your first dungeon in 15 minutes. Twilight Princess, I believe it takes, like, four to five hours for that to happen. It is excruciating. <laughs> more like two hours but uh, i guess it takes guess a while if you know where you're going i totally forgot where i was supposed to go when i was started playing through it again that, that could be on me but it still takes entirely too long yeah it's doing stuff like okay uh here's a fishing pole uh go fish for the cat <laughs> okay you got a thing for the cat well the kids have been kidnapped by a monkey oh wait no no her goats once oh now i heard, now I heard the goats again you'll never have to do this again <laughs> in the game for any reason but uh just do it but you're like hurting those goats yeah Look, I don't want to slag on Twilight Princess too much, but... Yeah, uh, like, I wish there was a version of the 3D Zelda games that would be like, here are just the dungeons. Just play the dungeons, have fun. I, I wish there was like a like a weird remix or director's cut version. I would play Skyward Sword again if it was just the dungeons, because I, nothing is better to me than a Zelda dungeon. That is like the perfect expression of a video game to me. Twilight Princess's it. dungeons are really good, and... Honestly, Ocarina of Time's dungeons are excellent. Um, the other thing that jumped out at me, uh, aside from that sense of economy, as you were just describing it, Bob, was just the sheer scale of the game for an N64 game. I mean, that was a big game. And this was before GTA came out. It was a good five years before GTA came around. And open world games were starting to come into their own. Uh, I think... Like MMORPGs were on the rise with Ultima Online and a couple years later EverQuest. But people weren't really used to that massive degree of freedom in 3D. And it it was a huge accomplishment. So I I just, it feels weird to go to bat for a game that is consistently lauded so much. But there was a weird amount of Ocarina of Time hate in our comments, so I felt obligated to say it. Mm. But in any case, Bob, what's your favorite Zelda? What's your sentimental well, favorite? If you know who, if you know me and everything I've written for the past uh, entirety of my life, you would know that it's uh, Majora's Mask, uh, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, which uh, the consummate hipster pick. Oh, I expect nothing less pick, from you, Bob. And now everybody loves it because uh, because us hipsters have been pushing for it for ten years, fifteen years. I feel like. Uh, all I heard about that game were complaints until the 3DS version. I'm not trying to say I liked it first, but I, I, I actually like that the tide has turned. And I think it's because uh, people have been wanting a different Zelda experience, a different 3D Zelda experience, and that is really the only different one. And now that we really haven't had any deviations, it's become much more appreciated uh, since 2000, for sure. When was the first time you played Majora's Mask? I played it in 2000 when it came out. Okay. Well, what did you think of it at the time? I totally fell in love with it. I was not even fatigued by uh, Zelda's, you know, formula because it was still uh, still fairly fresh at that point. Um, but I was like, oh, cool. Like, you can do a different thing with a Zelda game. Um, uh, like, it, everything was shaken up. Like, the dungeons didn't have uh, items in them. The items were in the field. The, the dungeons had arrows in them. There was the time limit. There was... Uh, you know, the this, the whole circular system and everything. I was like, wow, like you can do, I hope they do something different with every Zelda game. This is great. And they didn't. But uh, I, that, that, I mean, it still stands out to me as like a, a way to shake things up while still retaining the core elements of Zelda. And, and I'm hoping the Wii U one will do things in a different but similar way, if that makes sense. So interestingly enough, my girlfriend was the one who beat it first. Because when I was in college, um, a friend of ours lent us his N64 and uh, copies of Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. And she played through the entirety of Ocarina of Time, did literally everything, loved it. That's what That was the game that made her fall in love with Zelda. Uh, she could never get into Link to the Past, by the way, because it was too combat-focused. And she just wanted to solve puzzles. And, so, and she felt she could get around that in Ocarina of Time. Uh, Majora's Mask, she also liked... But she was stressed out by the time limits. Mm. 
she didn't feel like she could explore at her own, um, kind of at her own whim, I suppose. But she liked the mask collecting mechanics. Yeah, the masks are really cool. And I will say, like, um, once you learn the song of uh, uh, Slowing Time, uh, which you can pick up super early in the game, you're given more than enough time to do whatever you need to do. Like, once you unlock that dungeon, you can just restart the cycle, and then you'll have, like, I don't know. Like, the dungeons aren't that big, and I found that... um, I, I understand that insecurity, but I feel like they were more than fair in giving you enough time to do what you need to do in that game. I just remember, like, watching her stand in, like house at some point waiting for something to happen and meanwhile the moon is about to crash into the the world yeah and it's actually like starting to like flame up and everything but she's like no no i have to do this one thing before i can uh rewind time yeah some of the uh some of the more interesting events happen on that third day when everything is going to shit so it can be really tense but that also makes it fun you're like what's going to happen next like in uh, like just part of that doomsday scenario is uh, Link. Link, there's no character to Link. Every all the characters and the townspeople, and it is so fun just watching their attitudes change from day to day as they begin to realize they are going to die. It's like it's like an examination of uh, like mortality in in a very mature way that you would not expect from Zelda. Oh, that is interesting. And this was at the point. Well, with with Link's awakening in particular it feels like they started to kind of examine these... They started to get more ambitious with their storytelling, I suppose I would say, in just in the sense that they would play around with, like, psychological themes and, well, this island never really existed. And and now in the case of Majora's Mask, um, the, the, like, contemplating your own mortality and that kind of thing. And... Am I wrong to feel like Aonuma... How long has Aonuma been involved with the series? Uh, since Ocarina of Time, but actually all of those weird and odd choices about like uh, psychological themes and just strange strange and odd like decisions to make in the game, I think it, it's from uh, Twin Peaks, actually. Takashi's Tezuka, who directed Link's Awakening and A Link to the Past, um, really loves Twin Peaks, and he made Link's Awakening basically the, the, twin pe- sorry, the Twin Peaks of the Zelda universe. And I think all the succeeding games have picked up on Link's Awakening's weirdness, and and that's why the Zelda games, I feel, have a really dark sense of humor to them and a lot of odd and weird characters that weren't really there before. Mm. So, and, and Majora's Mask, I, I think the thing that really stands out about it as well is just the fact that it takes a particular mechanic in Ocarina of Time, which was being able to rewind time, like to move around in time, and plays with it and does really interesting things and honestly had we seen anything like Majora's Mask at that point where you had like a very set um time frame and that you were trying to manipulate events uh by like I guess changing things and seeing how you could uh make things different you know what? I don't know. I have to be missing something, but I, I don't really know. But I will say, like, strangely enough, the new, the new Hitman game really reminds me of Majora's Mask because um, it is very similar in that you are in these environments where things are progressing regardless of whether or not you're there. And in order to master these environments, you have to see them from different angles over and over again and just get an understanding of the reality. It's sort of like a Groundhog's Day thing. I, I, I'm pretty sure a game had to do the same thing before Majora's Mask, but um, I can't think of anything offhand, and I know I'm missing some obvious examples. But um, yeah, it, it still stands out to me as one of the more interesting systems in a video game. That was a nice little like plug for your Hitman review, oh, by yeah. the way. I've I Hitman on the brain, it. by the way. So You really like that game. It's super great. It's... Um, <clears throat> Hitman could be like one, uh, I mean, it has the potential to be, to be like a tasteless and lousy experience, but um, just interviewing the creative director of that studio, and man, we are way off topic, but I, I just feel like uh, they really care. know what to do with this series, and they know how to make it smart and tongue-in-cheek, and it is just, uh, it's more of an adventure game now, which I like. It's, it's very strange, but um, I hope it does well. That is interesting. <clears throat> well... We rated Majora's Mask at number two on our list. So, oh man, I forgot it was number two. I, I don't think I, you guys it's actually proud. it's actually ahead of Ocarina of Time. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I I don't remember the exact uh, voting, but I don't know Majora's Mask is just seems really well regarded by everybody on the staff, and 
I, I feel like it wasn't exactly a black sheep until this point, but you're right. The narrative around it really seemed to shift from, man, remember Majora's Mask? That was weird. To, wow, Majora's Mask is one of the most ambitious and interesting and underrated Zelda games ever made. Yeah, and I I don't know. Um, I really want to see the Wii U Zelda make a shift to being slightly less epic although it won't, because I feel like one of Majora's Mask's greatest assets or greatest elements is that it's not an epic adventure. Your main quest, you're not like saving, well, I guess you are saving the world, but the most important part of your quest is helping people with their everyday lives, like making them happier. And those are the stories that are still the most uh, resonant to me today, the most memorable to me today, like reuniting a married couple, um, you know, just helping people with their lives before they die. I feel like just those smaller personal stories are much more meaningful than like saving the world or saving the princess or whatever and i hope we see more of that in uh, the wii u version yeah taking i guess going back to twilight princess which tried to go really really epic exactly uh i think you were comparing it to lord of the rings like that game had lord of the rings on the brain yeah i mean i called it it's it's not exactly fair i said it had lord of the rings envy but it was a lord of the rings was inescapable from the early to mid 2000s there is no way it could not have influenced uh twilight princess and i see it in the enemy designs I see it in the world. I, it just feels like a very, uh, very much whoever worked, I mean, the artists, the designers, they they obviously were seeing Lord of the Rings, taking influences from it, you know, trying to make Zelda more of that Tolkien-esque adventure. But it had some of the best set pieces in the entire series. I agree, yeah. Like uh, fighting the, the guy and the pig on the on the bridge and chasing him around on, on your horse. That was that, cool. Yeah, that definitely felt like a Lord of the Rings thing to me. And that's not... That's not oh, a, that's, so, so much so. That's not a... That's not me detracting from it. I think that that's one of the ways they borrowed from that, uh, that uh, you know, that movie series in a good way. I had some really good dungeons too. How far have you... How far are you into Twilight <laughs> Princess HD? Uh, I played a bit of it when I was sick. And by a bit, I mean like four hours. But I, I am just up to the point where they're letting me out of the starting area. So uh, I'm so excited to get to a dungeon, a real dungeon. Oh, okay. Wow, yeah. dang. So you're not even a wolf yet? Uh, no, I've done all the wolf stuff. And I believe like the first dungeon you encounter is in that f- first forest area, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just at that point, I think. Uh, oh, I do okay. want to play more. But uh, again, that opening is such a bummer and it's kind of disheartening and you just kind of, it's just like kind of, it's kind of like an eating your vegetables uh, moment in, in Twilight <laughs> Princess. Like I can get to the yummy dessert if I eat this broccoli or, or whatever. So yeah. The second dungeon, I'd forgotten how good that second dungeon is in that game. I was I was really blown away by the first dungeon when I played it because uh, I think they knew the type of person who'd be playing that game and it wasn't small, it wasn't compact, it had many, many levels, many layers, and it was like pretty big, if I recall correctly. I just remember being kind of like, wow, this is the first dungeon? I'm in for a, for a treat with this game. I remember thinking when it came out that they wanted to kind of rectify the mistakes of Wind Waker or the perceived mistakes, which was that Wind Waker was pushed out that it w- had the fewest number of dungeons in the in the series, uh, so it felt kind of unfinished, and they were recycling too much material. And they took an entire extra year with Twilight Princess to push it, put in as much extra, just material and these like lovingly crafted and gigantic dungeons and a bigger world. And in hindsight, it feels like padding. But at the time, like, oh, my God, that was so exciting to play this just massive, delicious feast of a game. It's funny to just think of how we approach games has changed in the past 10 years. Like, I think we welcomed that kind of padding um, a decade ago, even even as short as a decade ago. That was like, oh, cool, more content. Now, I think our lives are so much different. The way we get content is so different that we just want things to cut to the cut to the chase, really. And I'm hoping, um, I mean, Twilight Princess, I'm sorry, no, no, uh, Skyward Sword had an equally slow opening. And I'm hoping uh, Zelda Wii U seems to be, from what they're saying, it seems to be an answer to the criticisms uh, Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword had. So I'm hoping they do fix those pacing issues um, with this newest game. If it comes out on the Wii U, I don't know. I I still don't know if that's going to happen. I guess we'll know at E3, won't we? Oh, yeah. That's going to be the deciding factor. If it's not at E3, uh, I really doubt it's going to be on Wii U. I can't believe that it's not coming out this year. I mean, if they don't release it this year, what else is they, have they got uh, for this, for the Christmas? It could be a, a stealth uh, NX launch. They could just be like, uh, okay, 
please don't use these words against me in the future, but E3 could be like, this is the NX, it's coming out in November, get ready, here's a new Mario game, and now Zelda's going to be on this, so... Mario Galaxy 3, let's yeah. go. Although, uh, I- I'm not sure if the Mario teams still make Zelda games, it- it's been like that forever, uh, and that may explain why we haven't seen a Mario game since uh, Super Mario th- 3D World U, or whatever the hell, th- th- the whole naming convention confuses me, but you know what I mean, the Wii U Mario World game. I'm ready for another Mario Galaxy, or at least another 3d mario me too i i wonder if nintendo will have the confidence uh i i in doing research for mario 64 i I remember reading miyamoto or tezuka or someone saying that like ever since we made 3d mario games our audience has dropped off precipitously like there are there's a certain group of people who does not want to play a 3d mario game so i feel Hmm. like they've been they've been like mario 3d land god what the hell is the name of that game i'm looking at it mario 3d world Mario 3D World? There's New Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. And there's they launched with New Super Mario Brothers for the Wii U. Right. So New th- Wait, 3D Mario World. Yes. Okay. Super Mario 3D World. God, I hate that naming convention. Anyways, that game was not a 3D Mario game. It was like an isometric game and the yes. the 3D parts were extremely limited. You're usually just running in a straight line and I think that that's the kind of compromises they're willing to make to retain that Mario audience, but I would love a Galaxy 3. I would like to see them take more risks with Mario. Well, maybe we will. All right, Bob, thanks for dropping by. And oh, by the way, uh, everybody should go check out your cover story, oh, which please came do. out earlier this week. It's about, it's an oral history of Day of the Tentacle. And even if like you haven't played that game, you should totally check it out because it's a really fantastic interview. Yeah, and you should play the game when it releases later this month on uh, PC and PS4. It's, uh, in my opinion, the best LucasArts adventure game. And I could, I could justify that if you give me uh, my own little symposium. Have we? Have you already done that in a in a podcast? I think I've done that uh, several thousand times in my life. So uh, yeah, it, it's recorded somewhere. Well, GDC's next week, so maybe you can just like elbow somebody off the podium and be like, "All right, let's talk about the LucasArts adventure games." No one cares about your database software. Get out of <laughs> exactly. here. Exactly. All right, Bob. Thanks for dropping by, and we'll yep, talk to you later. Always a pleasure. All right, we're back here now with Nadia Oxford, and we're going to talk about her favorite Zelda game. But before we do that, really quickly, Nadia, you wrote a news story about a new Pokemon strategy game for mobile. Could you elaborate on that? Uh, from what I can, because it's all the information's in Japanese and it's translated. Um, I got my translation from Paul. Uh, kind of like a, a, a strategy board game, like in the in the vein of like Go. Which, of course, is hugely popular in Japan, but uh, no, not too many people in the West play it, as I understand. I'm going to say that it's virtually unknown in the U.S. Well, the, the term Atari comes from the game Go. Oh, yeah, it's for sure. Like, it's kind of like Checkmate, I think, but otherwise I know very little about Go, and I don't know a whole lot about the game itself, to be honest. I would like to see it come to the West, though, because I don't know a lot about Go. I mean, my knowledge of Go extends to reading Game Over. Yes, me too. <laughs> and it's a uh, dramatization of, um, uh, what was it, the the Dutch guy who brought over Tetris. Um, yes, this is me remembering names. Yeah, playing against Hiroshi Yamuchi. Yeah, and this Dutch, um, this Dutch entrepreneur also enjoyed it. And so that's how they built up their business relationships or... Uh, supposedly Game Over dramatized things a little bit, but uh, he definitely loved Go. That was his thing. So, Probably. in any case. Um, Alright, so Pokemon Go, but not the Pokemon Go that we know of. Yeah, although the company that's helping uh, the states, so we might see it after all. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I'm playing Pokemon Tournament right now. Oh, how is it? So far, in a preview sense, it is a fighting game that I'm playing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that about covers it. I will say that Bandai Namco has been clearly... It's faithful to... It's faithful to the, the, the property. Yeah. In the sense that the monsters, like, all right, look right, they feel right, they're using... 
uh, the attacks that you would expect them to use, like Shadow Punch and Shadow Ball and so there Fire are Blast. There are Pokemon and they are fighting. Some interesting choices in there. Yeah. Some interesting choices. Um, they've got Charizard, mm-hmm. uh, Blaziken, and Sceptile for some reason. Really? Um, which, that's fine. They're starters. Uh, Suicune. Uh, we, uh, was it Weevil? Um, oh, uh, I know the one you're talking about, um, but I can't remember the exact name. Yeah, he's like the little ice guy, little yeah. ice cat. And Su- Suicune? Uh, it's a water legendary from Gold and Silver. Oh, that one. I never knew how to pronounce his name. A very random instance of Chandelure, uh, which is the ghost fire type from Black and White. Huh. That's odd. I would have liked Haxorus to be in there, to be honest. That would have been kind of interesting. Make him a grapple. Haxorus is this like big monster that like grabs onto you. Um, or It's a big monster that looks kind of like a T-Rex, has little stubby arms. Yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> high attack. It's funny because, like, some of the ones you're mentioning, they don't have arms at all. It's like, how are you fighting, guys? You're well, some of them are on the on the ground running. You can run into the knees and just kind of topple yep. you over. Like, Suicune is, like, on... He's like a dog. He's on all fours, so... Yeah. And he like can he shoot, like, ice weather, beams so. and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And there's Pikachu, of course, of course, and Lucario, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some notable Im- omissions. Um, but you can unlock a lot of accessories, like little hats, little hats. Ah, well, that's all that um, counts, I guess. Well, not for your care, not for the Pokemon themselves, but for your like avatar. Oh, what, what the heck? <laughs> I want to put a hat on Pikachu. I like customizing my avatar. True, true. Uh, any what game that you? lets me customize my avatar like immediately gets a thumbs up for me. That's true. I can't resist customizing avatars to begin with. To be honest with you. Anyway, you can expect my review of that on Tuesday. Let's talk about Zelda. Yes, let's. All right, Nadia, what's your favorite Zelda? Well, I had to think about it after you warned me that I'd be talking about it. I think I'm going to go with A Link to the Past. Okay, so you're going with the number one game on our list? The safe option. But I had to really think about it. And the reason why, and I think this is fair, is because it is the one Zelda game I can go back to over and over and over again without getting tired of it. When was the last time you went back to it? uh, Shoot, a few months ago, probably. But um, Hmm. I will be getting it on Virtual Console once it hits the 3DS. (laughs) And um, I think part of that is because, like, I find the intro very stirring. Like, the the opening with the rainstorm, and you go into the castle, and you can hear the raindrops on the the castle roof. It's just really, really well done. It was really cinematic. It really is, and it really gets you in the mood. It's like, oh boy, I'm going to save a princess and go on an adventure. Um... And I was thinking about it because uh, for, uh, up until now, I would have said, you know what, my favorite is Ocarina of Time. But I found that once, last time I tried to go back to Ocarina of Time, I, I didn't really get very far. And I think that's just because there's been so many Zelda releases since where there's more to do. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I know a lot of people don't like Twilight Princess, but I do love the fact that the overworld is so busy. Like, I can ride on horseback and beat up enemies, whereas in Ocarina of Time... You can grab bugs? Yeah, you can grab bugs. That's very important. But in Ocarina of Time, if you're riding across the the overworld, there's not really much to do. No, it's true. Well, it's it's still a big game. It's still a lot to discover. There are poses to collect. That's true. There are lots of poses. But uh, not so many, like... Lord of the Ring rip-off enemies to, <laughs> to hit with swords, so... <laughs> Twilight Princess went in that regard. Uh, we were talking about this in the previous segment, actually. Oh, and yeah. I was just reflecting that Ocarina of Time's scale was just insane for an N64 game um, that yeah. came out at that time. And it was really cool that you could see a thing on the horizon, like Death Mountain, and you could go to it. Yeah. You'd be like, that what the heck is cool. that? You'd go to it, and you're like, wow. And of course, Ocarina of Time established so much of what was to follow um, oh, absolutely like some people say oh it's overrated i would not say that at all like i would say it's one of the best zelda games just not one of my my favorites you know well let's go back to link to the past really quickly sure. i i totally agree with you actually when i remember back in like 1993 1994 when the super nintendo was still dominant mm-hmm. just being blown away by those rain effects yeah and they're thinking, still really nice 
I mean, I'm thinking, oh my God, that looks amazing. And I never, it was definitely something that I could never see on the, the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. It was so cinematic and cool. And then, of course, you go down into the tunnel and you find your dad who or your uncle or something. Some, who, some guy. Some guy who's like on the verge of death and he gives you his sword. And then you go upstairs uh, you go upstairs into the palace and you hear this like crash of symbols, uh, and suddenly you're listening to this amazing epic uh, stereo music yeah. uh, being pumped through the Super Nintendo's sound chip. And in 1993, that was just it was wow. Like it really yeah. was. Yeah. And um, I also adore uh, A Link Between Worlds, but the one thing that disappoints me about it is it doesn't have that, that stunning start to it. That's true. How does Link Be- A Link Between Worlds start? Uh, unfortunately, it kind of starts with you having to like do a fetch quest to get the sword. So mm. it's a bit slow. Uh, it's a fantastic game in every other right, but I think Link to the Past hedges it out just because of that intro, if nothing else. Hmm. I know that's actually a good point, because... Yeah. And it does such a great job of establishing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need a ton of text or anything. Um, no. And it sets you loose in the world, like, pretty fast. It does. It's like you have your uncle telling you, you know, there's a storm going on, and he says, stay in the house, and you just know there's something bad going on. And then you yeah. step out, and when you step out of the sewers, and or out of the church, I should say, for the first time, yeah, and that overworld music plays... Yeah. Uh, that's like the really awesome stereo version of the Zelda music from the original NES game. And you're just like, okay, yeah, I'm playing like the next gen version of this series. It's pretty special. It was pretty special. Um, so yeah, tell me why else you like Link to the Past. Uh, to be honest with you, like it was probably my first top down Zelda game. I went to, I started with two and then I went to three. Interesting, uh, two. Yeah, I'm, I, I for the life of me, I cannot tell you why I started with two, but I didn't play one for a long, long time. Um, but I guess I just liked three because it had, um, as you say, it was cinematic. I don't think you have to be a Zelda fan to really appreciate that, that's for sure. Um, but, of course, when you think about it, Zelda 3, all it is, is it's, it's the first Zelda game kind of built up times 100 on this like amazing engine, amazing platform. So it was going to succeed no matter what. Because it's just a, it's just a good game. It looks good. Uh, I have to admit the this the sprites are kind of squishy these days, but the the backgrounds are just kind of they're so big and and vibrant. Yes. Even now, just just looking at them just kind of makes me happy. And when you go into the lost woods and that kind of thing, and you get lots of cool little effects like yeah. the the trees like reflecting down on the ground. Yeah, and you go to where the master sword is, and it's like the little animals bounding around everywhere. Yeah, it's super cute. It is. <laughs> I I like how elaborate and interesting the dungeons are. Um, yes. Uh, although being my first Zelda game of, of that breed, it stumped me like hell. For Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it would do that. Because because nowadays it's like, oh, light the torches. Where are you, a moron? Like, of course everyone else will light the torches. But back then I'm like, I thought, okay, there's torches on the walls. Are these the ones you're talking about? But no, they're talking about the little like kind of banister looking ones. That was me and Link's Awakening. <laughs> I didn't realize I was supposed to light the torches, bomb the walls, kill all the enemies in a room, move the block to open the door. Was that your first uh, Zelda? Or It was my first Zelda. So that would do it. Yeah, so everyone has to have that sort of initiation. Yes, exactly. And I spend a lot of time calling the Nintendo hotline. Uh. <laughs> I mean, like, what do I do? And they're like, push the block. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I just paid you 10 bucks to tell me that <laughs> and waited on the line for 30 minutes hearing advertisements for Super Game Boy. Do they talk really slow when they finally get to you? No, no. No, they were they were totally on the level and oh, very okay. helpful. Except in Star Tropics where I was always trying to be like there was this one I was stuck in this one dungeon and I never got past it and they were like Look for the but the area with the slug on it, and then there's a button underneath him. I'm like, there's no slug. <laughs> so yeah, this is, this is my Nintendo game counselor story. But I never call anyway. them because if you call them from Canada, you're basically looking at your life savings right there. <laughs> oh my god, I bet. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't like mobile phones in particular, but the one thing I I don't miss is long distance charges. Oh, absolutely. But. 
I, and when it comes to Link to the Past, I wrote that it kind of defines Zelda as we know it today. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, not okay. just, not just in the way that it had the the three amulets and then the eight dungeons after that, mm-hmm. but just in the fact that the original Zelda, I can't speak for Zelda two as much. Uh, the original Zelda was so combat heavy, like yeah. I actually compared it to Dark Souls. <laughs> That's an in interesting that, comparison. Oh, yeah. It's like pure exploration doesn't tell you, uh, it doesn't show you a lot, you know, of what to do. You just have to kind of figure everything out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really combat focused. It's like those dungeons are a battle of s- endurance and survival more yes. than puzzle solving and being able to keep track of. Uh, being able to keep track of how everything connects together, whereas yeah, A Link true. to the Past was puzzle solving, right? It was, and uh, of course, puzzles in the first Zelda game, well, you're pushing blocks, and that's about it. But and maybe at the most, you have to remember where you're going and where you've been, or which wall to bomb, that sort of thing. But uh, another thing about Link to the Past that just kind of came to mind is uh, you don't really realize how huge it is until you you get through those first three palaces. And then you're kind of blown away because you have this, you have basically the majority of the game stretching out in front of you when you get to the dark world for the first time. And it's so cool when you use the, uh, when you get sent into the dark world. Yes. And like the screen goes all wibbly wobbly. Yeah. And it uh, plays that very particular sound effect and suddenly Mm -hmm. you're in a whole new world. But the first time you see the dark world too, and this is also another big score for the game's atmosphere is, uh, you turn into a little bunny. You're helpless. You're you're stuck on Death Mountain, and there's this horrible storm raging, and there's, there's just this this guy kicking this other guy for no reason, and it's just really intimidating. And I remember exploring Death Mountain for the first time, just being like so so blown away by how helpless I was, and how there was nothing I could do except go back. Like you had, it kind of gives you a preview of like this, the puzzles you can come back to. Like you enter this one room full of spikes, and you're just like, oh my god, what is this? What do I do? Where do I go? And of course, you can't do anything with it yet. You have to come back to it. But just that one taste of what's coming is just like, goodness gracious. And it was really cool how you had to keep uh, the light world and the dark world straight in your mind, kind of. Yes. And understand it's like, okay, if I use, if I go into the dark world here, then I, because, see, the mirror, you, you have to use a, you have to find particular portals to enter the dark world. Yeah. But you can use the mirror to get back to the light world any time. Yeah. And there are some areas in the dark world that are accessible that aren't accessible in the light world. Yes. And I find that's kind of a thing that's popped up in other games since. I can't name any off the top of my head. I just know that I've seen the mechanic before and I think, oh, that's just like Link to the Past. Yes. And you can see them using it in kind of later games in the mm-hmm. sense of, well, manipulate this thing in one world, and it will change in the other world. Of course, and it's yeah. Just, and that kind of became the time-traveling mechanics in Ocarina of Time later. Yeah. It was a really good game. Uh, just how, when I think about it, how many things it did first, and how important that is, and how ultimately I think that's what helps me make my selection of, like, the best Zelda, not to mention my favorite Zelda. Hmm. What was your favorite dungeon? In the, uh, in Link to the Past? Yeah. Um, shoot. Uh, you know what? I Putting think you on the Rock. stop. Okay, Turtle Rock. That one's an intense one. It, it, it this was, is the final dungeon. Yeah, it's it's kind of intense. You can't. You definitely get the sense that you're getting closer. Um, I will say, however, the dungeon that gave me the most horror, the most problems, was, uh, and I still think this is crap, is the the Harris Tower getting the Moon Pearl, where you have mm. to walk from the wall. And go like backwards almost. I've never seen a puzzle like that in another Zelda game, and I don't want to. <laughs> that Harris Tower, like I admittedly don't remember the structure of that dungeon very well. I just remember that at the top you had that big battle with the beetle, the Moldrum, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it would knock you off, <sighs> and you had to get back up. But at the same time, like it was so cool because you could see like stuff below it. Yeah, that was a really neat effect for the SNES at the time. So it was really cinematic, and you felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm in this huge battle. I'm about to get the, the third and final pearl so that I can 
uh, move on to get the sword. Ugh, what yeah. a great game. It is. And that's probably why I go back to it all the time. And I still kind of feel the excitement of like getting that sword and, and progressing to the next area. No, I want to play it. But I don't think I'm going to play it on my, my 3DS. I think I'll play it on my TV. Like the uh, like like the Lord intended. Yeah, exactly. Because I I have the GBA version actually. It's like lying around somewhere, and I've I've played that version many many times, and and I've finished it on the Super Nintendo as well. Mm-hmm. But I I sort of feel like it's the kind of game you need to play on a TV, right? Yeah, because it's such a big, beautiful cinematic game. Which I don't mean to demean the 3DS or the or the Vita or anything, but I just think that the Super Nin- uh, the Link to the Past is such an epic and cool game that it's the kind of game I want to play on TV. Yeah, I can understand that. And I haven't played the GBA. Ver- I've played the GBA version within the past ten years. Um, I have not played the original Super Nintendo version on the TV in a very very long time. So so it'd be like kind of seeing it new all over again. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, it's a great game. But you want to know what my favorite Zelda game is? Which? My sentimental favorite Zelda is Link's Awakening. That's a good. That's a very good choice too. Um, it's definitely up there amongst my top favorites. Have you seen the Symphony of the Goddess show? No, I haven't. It's very good. There's. Uh, I've seen it a few times actually. It's come to Toronto several times, and um, one time they did a suite for Link's Awakening. And, you know, they played the ending alongside, like, footage of the ending. And it's just like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. No. <laughs> You'd be surprised how emotional those little sprites are up on a big screen. Yeah. And hearing it in a full sympathy, uh, hearing the Ballad of the Windfish in the full symphony. It was very good. It's a great soundtrack for the Game Boy. Oh, it's phenomenal. That game was so ambitious for a portable con- for. A- a handheld console. They and, really pack it in there. And we're not talking about like later on where y- you had very good games, but the Game Boy was such a, at the time, like it certainly didn't stack up to the Super Nintendo oh, no. in terms of power, like in any sh- way, shape or form. Yeah. And you would have thought that if they were going to put a-, a Zelda game on the Game Boy, that it would be, you know, closer to maybe the original Zelda. Yeah. And instead, like, it holds up really well. Yeah, I was playing it, like, I, I haven't played it all the way through in a while, but I kind of have a game going on my on my 3DS, like, on the virtual console, and uh, I go back to it every so often, and, you know, I've been picking at it, and it's a great game. It has this big, beautiful world. Like, the island itself, Koholint yeah. Island, was just a compelling location with the big windfish egg at the top, and it's like, what what's inside there? And... A great story. I mean, it was the first time that Zelda really seemed to experiment with storytelling outside of beat Ganon, save the princess. Yeah. And it was, uh, of course, as I just mentioned, it had some pretty compelling characters. And at the same time, despite being kind of, it kind of had this sense of foreboding behind it because, you you know, it told you under no uncertain terms that if you wake up the windfish, it's all over, but you have mm-hmm. no choice. But at the same time, it's 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 fun. It's funny. Exactly. And it had some really, it didn't have the intricacy of the light world and the dark world, but it still had some really good dungeons. Yeah. Uh, just uh, the the dungeons blended together a bit more, but at the same time, you also had like the Eagle's Tower. That was a pretty cool dungeon. Where you're trying to get to the top and you're doing things like you're pushing the, the tower levels together. Yeah, that's the one where you kind of, you, you hit the supports, right? You collapse the tower almost? Yes, yes, yeah. until you can reach the top. That was very. That was a very unique way of, of going about that. <laughs> and then it had a side-scrolling battle with the eagle diving down at you and stuff. Yeah. It, that, that was a that, cool battle. It's interesting how it called back to the first Zelda game in that regard. It had a lot of side-scrolling portions, whereas, you know, Zelda had a few, the original, but not too many. Yeah, and that kind, that element has kind of gone away from the series. Which is too bad. No, I agree. Uh, but it it just works on so many levels, and it holds up really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. And like they kind of solidified its status by releasing Zelda DX, uh, which is the the Game Boy Color version. So, 
it's just a wonderful game in a lot of different ways. And I, I think that maybe it's not as complicated or, um, or as ambitious as say a link to the past or Ocarina of Time, but I think that it's my favorite complete Zelda experience. All right, before we go, Nadia, big fan of a link between a link between worlds. Yes. Best Zelda game since Ocarina. Um, you know what? It's up there. Uh, By the way, this would go against our rankings, I think, because we it's below when it's below Wind Waker. Yeah, it, it didn't really climb the charts as high as I would have liked. I'm pretty sure I ranked it up there pretty high. Yeah, I ranked it up there really high as well. Um, possibly top five. It's you know it's kind of difficult to rank it like amongst all the Zeldas though because we've had so many 3D Zeldas and Zelda really varies from game to game. Um, but I would definitely like if you put me in a room full of Zelda games, it would be one of my first go tos, and I think maybe even like after or before Ocarina. All right, here's the question I ask. Which Zelda games can make you cry? Well, I already uh, mentioned Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening uh, and Link Between Worlds. Those are the two that can make me cry. I, I'm trying to remember what parts of Link's Awakening are really emotional. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were there, but it's been a long time since I played it. Well, I mean, just the final sequence. Oh. Like the end? I don't want to... Uh, screw it. If, if you don't want spoilers, maybe you should stop listening now. <laughs> yes. Okay. So at the end, it turns out that the windfish is dreaming of Koholant Island. That's right. And you wake him up, and you basically... And the windfish is this big, like, cool yellow submarine type thing. <laughs> and you and you wake him up, and as the ballad of the windfish is playing, because I think you're playing it on your flute, it the island... The windfish awakens, and the island slowly disappears, and you see various scenes of the island that you've come to know and love because it's this wonderful, compelling setting slowly fade away. Yeah, it just kind of vanishes. And you awaken on a log of driftwood just in time to see this island that was a real place with real people, including um, Marin, who taught you the song, disappear. Yeah. And the final shot is just... And then the credits roll. Yeah. And it's (laughs) like... Because you've gotten to know these characters and, like, really like them, I mean, it's sad to see them go, you know, and you go, what's this even real? Well, it made an emotional impact on me, so it must have been. No, it it did to me, too. Like I said, I saw that at Symphony of the Goddess, and, you know, seeing it up there is just like, wow, this is still really kind of sad, and not even in a bittersweet way, because I guess Link seems happy about it, because he sees the seagull and he thinks maybe it's Marin, but... yeah. Uh, it's, uh, other than you gain a seagull, but you lose right. the island. All right, Marin, you're a seagull now. Hooray. Well, it's a net win for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> At a link between worlds, like, so spoilers again. Um, what a great reveal at the end. Revealing that, um, Pink Bunny Guy was Zelda, was Link. Oh, well, yeah, which, was... of course, makes perfect sense. Yes. The guy in the bunny costume, of course he's Link. Course. Oh my God. No, that's right. I, like, I, I didn't forget about that part. The whole thing about you know Link and Ravio. That was a lot of fun. He's a fun character. But when they make um, but when they make the wish, or like I think Link and Zelda make the wish to help um, the the other world. Yeah. Low rule. Low rule. Uh, it's an emotional moment. Very yeah. sweet. And I I teared up a little bit. And I was like, what a great game! Oh my god, I love this game so much. I had a really great time with it, especially since I think it was a game that people weren't sure about at first. I was definitely not sure. I'm like, what the heck is this? How dare you, like, copy the best Zelda game ever made? Yeah. There's no way that it's going to be able to stand up to this. Uh, Oh, good. You're adding a gimmick where you become, like, flattened against the wall. Yeah, that's, like, a great idea for a Zelda game. Let's just add (laughs) gimmicks. Okay, let's let's reuse and bastardize content from A Link to the Past while adding in unnecessary gimmicks. And then I played it and I loved it. Exactly. That's exactly how it went down. <laughs> and, you know, bravo, because that's a that's a risky game to screw around with. You know, exactly. Um, when I was playing it, it was like a feast. Mm-hmm. Like I like going into each dungeon, I'm like, oh, yes, I'm just going to savor this dungeon, right? It was, it was just a perfect balance of new and old. 
And you're probably like, people are like going, geez, cat, like Zelda, it's not an RPG. Why are you even talking about it in this podcast? Well, it borrows enough from the RPG tradition, including dungeon crawling. Yeah. That I, I feel like it's at least worth discussing, even if I acknowledge that in the traditional sense, it is an action adventure game. You have some tools, there's a life gauge, but there's no like stats. Um, even I mean, Zelda two kind of introduced introduces stats, but yeah. the the game proper moved away from them. But it borrows enough from the the tradition, and just it's kind of a periphery to the RPG genre. But it owes enough of a debt to it that it's worth discussing on an RPG podcast. And besides, this is my podcast. I'll talk about anything I, I want. I was going to say, you don't need an excuse to talk about Zelda. Not in my company, anyway. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And I doubt most people would need an excuse to listen to a podcast about Zelda. There you are. But in any case, uh, once again, if you want to go check out the ratings, uh, rankings, the full rankings are on the website. Uh, I just spent an episode complaining about them, apparently. But no, I, I actually do think A Link... I am actually pretty happy with how things shook out with A Link to the Past, Majora's Mask, and Ocarina of Time being one, yes. two, three. We never talked about Wind Waker, which is interesting. Um, but so it goes, right? Yeah. Uh, hey, do a follow-up podcast. I'd be okay with that. Let's talk about how Spirit Tracks is criminally underrated. I agree. I really like that game. That was a cute little game. It's way better than Phantom Hourglass. I hate Phantom, Phantom Hourglass. Hourglass. Uh, Phantom Hourglass is one of the worst Zeldas I've ever played. <laughs> that bad, eh? Uh, yeah. Like, just in terms of mainline adventures, it has no spirit whatsoever. Uh, the dungeons weren't very good. I really hated the the stealth sections, uh, which you had to keep doing over and over again with a clock. Oh, geez. Just what everyone wants. Yeah, Spirit Tracks fixed a lot of those issues, and people were mad because it limited the overworld exploration because it had a train. Yeah, but I I just like trains. I like train tracks, too. I don't know why. I just think they're cool. The dungeons were way better in Spirit Tracks. and dungeons, yeah. Yeah, it was way more complete, and just in general, I thought Spirit Tracks gets an unfairly bad rap. And you know what? It came out at a time when everyone's like, oh, Zelda's so still. I need to try something new. And they try something new and everyone's like, this sucks. Yeah, well, people hate new things. You know that. Yeah, but they always ask for new things and they hate them. <laughs> In any case, uh, I suppose we'll be back to talk about Zelda when Zelda Wii U comes out. Um, yeah. So we can look forward to that. But next week is GDC, Yay. which I have absolutely no idea uh as to what I'm going to record for next week. Uh, there, there may not be an episode. I hope there's an episode. I'm actually going to go check out, the, like, the one RPG-related thing I'm going to go see is Project Setsuna from Square Enix. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, if you're not familiar with it, Project Setsuna is a new game from Tokyo RPG Factory, I think is the name. Um, it's the the Square Enix RPG focused studio that they started last year. Mm-hmm. So that's, this is their first game. I'm really looking forward to seeing what this thing is actually all about because the person, the people in question who will be demoing the game will probably be Japanese. It might be a little harder to get them on the show, but that immediately pops into my mind. Other than, beyond that though, it's all VR all the time. For the most part. And uh, we were talking about this. I was talking about this with Bob the other day. I don't think VR and RPGs mesh very well. Not so much. Which is too bad. Um, Maybe in a dungeon crawling sense. But (laughs) VRs focus so much on like realism and versillimitude. I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. And stats like stats are meant to compensate for... How do I put this? I don't. I think that's fundamentally at odds with a game that has stats. Yeah, at least for now. So that's too bad. But yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be putting on a lot of sweaty helmets in the next week. You're lucky you're not going, Nadia. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I can't say I'm really sad to not put on like you know sweaty helmets. Not to mention, I'm not sure if my stomach could take VR yet. Yeah, mine certainly can't. 
In the meantime, you should check out Stardew Valley. Yeah, maybe I will. I, I think I should. All right. Is there anything that you're playing or you want to plug, Nadia? Uh, you know what? I'm still working through Breath of Fire 3. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's just, cool, though. I'm, I'm almost done with it, though. Nice. Yeah. Well, in any case, um, I hope to write about Stardew Valley, which is RPG-ish. Ish, ish. It has dungeon crawling. <laughs> I, I can be hotter cold than dungeon crawling. It really depends. Well, it has mines where you kill slimes. Oh, I can and it clearly is based on, like, the Square Enix Chrono Trigger slash Final Fantasy VI look. Oh, well, I can deal with that. So, yeah, you should definitely get it. Uh, what's it for again? That's uh, for the PC. Oh, okay. Uh, so just get it on Steam. I wonder if my piece of garbage computer can run it. I'm gonna go on a limb and say probably. It's if it's one of like if it's got like an older retro style to it, it shouldn't be a problem. I run the ease games without any problems. So, all right then. All right. Well, Axe of the Blood God is a podcast of US Gamer. You can find us on iTunes, Twitch, uh, Stitcher, and not Twitch yet, but maybe I should. I don't know. You can <laughs> look at my like cluttered ass office while I record this podcast. Uh, but iTunes, Stitcher. And wherever podcasts are sold, subscribe to us, review us, rate us, spread the gospel of RPGs. I would really appreciate it. Check out our streams on Tuesdays and Thursdays and go on YouTube. Uh, we're doing another One Hit Wonders this week. Yes, we and are. we're doing Punch-Out. Yes, Can you spoil are. me on how far you got, Nadia? Uh, I got up to Great Tiger. Great Tiger. Okay, well, let's see if I can beat him. I think I can make it to at least Ball Bowl. Yeah, I definitely didn't get that far. <laughs> But Bald Bowl is, like, pretty tough. Like, Bald Bowl is kind of like the, all right, are you ready for an actual challenge now? All right, yeah. let's do this thing. So The Great Tiger always gets me with the teleport thingy. Oh, yeah, it's kind of a pain in the butt. And he, like, he drains you down so far that you can end up losing just by default. Absolutely. Like, you almost have no, like, room for um, for error. Yeah, that's when, he start, that's when things start to get real. All right, well, I'm streaming that in, like, 35 minutes or so. so. Good luck. And so uh, thanks for coming on the show, and thanks to Bob for coming on the show. And until next time, I've been Kat Bailey, and happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.